You're in the meeting from hell. It's gone on for hours. Your colleague is chewing their lunch so loudly you could hear it from space. Or you're just about to wrap up for the day and bing, your boss sends you an urgent meeting request. Pretty familiar scenarios for people in modern workplaces, but nearly 2,000 years ago, a Roman emperor called Marcus Aurelius faced similar frustrations, believe it or not. Could his writings help us worker bees in our modern-day hives? My guest today, Annie Lawson, says the Stoic philosophy helped Marcus handle warfare, disease, backstabbing and attempted murder, so it's probably worth giving it a go. Annie, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you so much for having me. I love this book. It's called Stoic at Work, Ancient Wisdom to Make Your Job a Bit Less Annoying but it's a pretty modest claim. Why do you feel that stoicism might help us a bit? Well, I didn't want to overpromise, so I thought a bit less was um, probably an appropriate level. Yeah, overpromise um, and underdeliver is a big corporate exactly. office thing, isn't it? I guess my reasoning behind it was, you know, Marcus Aurelius kept the Roman Empire afloat, so if he could do that and underpin that with some stoic kind of wisdom, then surely we can survive a meeting that goes on and on or a screen that won't share during a meeting or a colleague that asks a question at five o'clock when you really just want to head out the door. But, I mean, that's quite different conditions, isn't it? What, what made you think reading his works, aha, this is going to help me in my life? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I guess I've always been interested in the world of work and how people navigate it. it you know, it consumes so much of our life. And some of us do truly meaningful, amazing jobs. But the thing is what I spoke to a lot of um, friends and colleagues across all different sectors and found that they all had similar frustrations and they related to those smaller niggles. It might have been, you know, a colleague eating a tuna sandwich next to their desk. It might be um, someone that's kind of breathes really loudly when you're trying to work. And I just thought, you know, if he if he could sort of apply such discipline with so effectively to keep this empire together, surely we cannot let those niggles derail our kind of search for a meaningful work and just make our jobs a, more, a better experience. Well, meaningful is interesting, isn't it? Because for some people, work is meaningful. For some, it's just the thing we have to endure day by day, isn't it? And discipline sounds like it was a big plank of stoicism. It certainly was. They had um, all these virtues that sort of underpin um, the stoic approach, you know, things like sort of being disciplined and not worrying too much about things that are out of your control. And I think that approach is actually important. It work, I mean, it really does, people get so affected by work and things that happen at work that you can't dismiss it as trivial. It isn't. And I think employers would get the best out of people if work was a place, even say, of fun. I mean, I've been in previous jobs where I had um, two colleagues I'm thinking of, uh, two friends, Jimmy and Graham, and we had we tried to maximise our fun at work because we found if we did sort of silly things like we had a wall of you know, corporate jargon that we laughed at. We we just did better work and it was better for everyone and it was great for the culture and the atmosphere. So um, I think... How did the wall it, of corporate jargon go down with management? <laughs> the corporate jargon thing's so funny. I came from journalism. So um, uh, going into the corporate world was like stepping into a different universe. And um, I first heard the phrase move the needle and I didn't know what anyone meant. I thought, am I meant to be DJing here or am I writing something? <laughs> I know, it's a very like old-fashioned thing, isn't it? It's like dials. Who has dials is, anymore? Are we on a kind of, yeah, a, an aviation, is this an aviation term? <laughs> so um, there's a lot of bewildered. Another one is um, deep dive. I've always found quite odd. But, you know, I found everyone I speak to laughs about jargon and then they turn around and use it. So I, I do think we're all hypocrites, including myself. I think I've said the phrase sense check 
Yeah. <laughs> what so, does that mean? What does it mean? I don't know. And I've said high level before as well. So I'm just as guilty as everyone. Thought shower was my favourite one from your book. <laughs> I was like, I'm oh, not getting anywhere near a thought it's shower. It's very, it very like dubious pleasant. sounding. Yes. <laughs> We're speaking with Annie Lawson, who's written this book called Stoic at Work. And it's great because on the cover, it's got a post-it note that says 50, no, 49 modern rules. She's crossed out the 50. Ancient wisdom to make your job a bit less annoying. And wouldn't we all like that on some days of the week? Uh, you focused on Marcus Aurelius and his meditations. Why was that? Because there were quite a few Stoic philosophers, weren't there? Yeah, there were. There were others. I mean, I guess there was um, Seneca and Epictetus, uh, the other Stoic um, philosophers that are well known. I mean, I'm by no means a Stoic expert. I must just clarify here. Um, just, I'm just. It's just I look for ways to find more meaning out of work and life. And you know, um, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. Um, uh, Bill Gates have um, embraced stoicism. A lot of leaders do, and it's um, it's just one of those things. I think that's helped them in their big kind of tricky um, work lives. So, I yeah, I just think that it's it's something that has really really helped me not get too worried if someone's kind of annoying me or if I've um, kind of uh, getting a bit stressed out, things are going off the rails, you just focus on what's mat- what matters and you don't make judgments of other people. And one of the most important things is that you wake up in the morning and you expect to meet people who are annoying and meddling and frustrating. This is what Marcus Aurelius said. And when you do that, you um, are well prepared when you encounter them. And it's not disappointing. So is he basically saying set the bar low and you'll never be surprised? Well, it is it is about managing your expectations, right? So I think that is one of the key principles to – they had this um, technique called negative visualisation. Imagine all the worst-case scenarios and then when they um, – That's they, my life. This when they materialise, you're not actually that surprised and you're probably going to be better prepared. I yeah. like that much better than yeah. the word catastrophizing. I'm definitely <laughs> going to go with that. But, Annie, I mean, if, you, if you're not – making waves if you're not getting annoyed are you not making change either if something is legitimately really annoying for everyone this is true and in fact they they frowned upon complaining and I mean I must confess in a previous life I have been a serial complainer I'm working on it at the moment but I think you know the world is changed and as I say when we face struggles our struggles disappear into the abyss of time so sitting there complaining about what they call the whirling chaos of external events is really quite pointless. Well, he did seem to spend a lot of time going, we'll all be dead one day, so this will pass. I know, it's such a great thought, isn't it? Let's not worry because soon I'll be dead. But I think in you know before we actually reach the end point, it's worth trying to extract as much meaning, possibly even fun, um, if we can along the way. Well, yes, though, I guess there's a difference between uh, complaining at our desks, which yeah. we've all done, and, and organising and saying, look, this is a problem, let's Let's change it because I, I was interested in Marcus Aurelius's interesting relationship with um, taking action, when to take action, when to not take action. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I think, well, firstly, the complaining is one of those things where you complain about something and then you don't do anything. So nothing happens. So I guess you have to make, um, you have to make that decision, right? And the thing that we can control are our thoughts and our actions. And um, Marcus Aurelius would support 
controlling and carefully considering how we behave and what we say and what we think. And you really can't control what anyone else does in the workplace. So with that kind of frame of mind, I I think you can focus better on the things that do matter at work. Well, yes, care but don't care is one of the chapter headings. Tell us a bit more about that. Where where does the line fall? Well, this is from my scientific process of speaking to people at After Work Drinks. It was a very (laughs) rigorous process. And I I was having drinks with some very senior executives in the city. And I said, well, you've made it to the top of the tree. What is it? What is your kind of guiding principle? How did you sort of ascend to the top? And uh, one of them coined this phrase, but all the others articulated something similar. And that was care, but don't care. We all care so much about our work. We spend so much time there and so much time talking about it. But they're saying, just don't care too much. Just discard a few things and, you know, have a side project, have a creative outlet and don't let it consume you um, because then you're actually no good to an employer anyway. If you're completely consumed by your job, it's better for them that you have this perspective. And in fact, I, the one I love that I have always found helpful when I've had um, encountered difficulty is taking a cosmic perspective. So you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, I've got back-to-back meetings. Great. But then you look at the sky and you see the planets and the stars and you realise where we are in the whole scheme of the cosmos. And this honestly gives you that space to kind of manage whatever challenge comes your way. I did wonder whether Marcus Aurelius really did say, don't shag the boss, which is another <laughs> chapter title. I don't title. know. Well, um, I'm guessing maybe not. I mean, I think all those, um, these were all very important rules that, uh, that all these these people came up with. And I suppose the point about that, they've got this virtue of temperance, which I routinely violate by eating chocolate for breakfast. But, you know, <laughs> they, they basically say, you, you know, they're not saying don't do anything, don't lead a fun life, but just do everything in moderation. So they would have wine and mix it with water. Yeah, I'm not. I don't mix my wine with water, but you know, you don't have to take all their advice. And in fact, Marcus Aurelius never thought of himself as the ultimate Stoic. He certainly wasn't. He was a work in progress, as we all are. So you you take what you can from from these sort. It's like an operating framework for working and living. I'm getting along very well with Annie Lawson with the whole chocolate for breakfast thing, but she had me with Stoic at work, ancient wisdom to make your job a bit less annoying. It's a really fascinating read. I've been dipping into and out of it on the tram, (laughs) working kind of technically from home. Um, What about when decisions go wrong? We talked a little bit about when to to act, when not to act, and you cite these horrific sounding uh, examples of colleagues who've made monumental stuff ups. The the person who forgot to invite any attendees to the conference, just the keynote speaker it turned up. Yeah. How would Marcus, what would Marcus do? I think Marcus, I, I feel like just based on reading meditations, um, that he probably wouldn't wake up at 3am in a cold sweat and completely freak out and send some sort of hurried, rushed emails. I think he would realise that that hour he's got no resources to deal with it. So what's the point in consuming and ruminating on it? Um, he also saw obstacles as um, an opportunity to strengthen the soul. So when we do encounter them, as we all do all the time, um, they he, he talked about the obstacle being the way. Um, and so we have to embrace obstacles and, and you go through them, not try and avoid them, which, you know... It's human nature. I did wonder. I mean, he was the emperor, so maybe he woke up at 3am thinking about other things, but he, he wasn't subject to the whims of bosses and uh, on no. a salary. So were the conditions 
different enough so that maybe we should take his thoughts with a grain of salt if we are the drones? Well, he was the supreme ultimate leader. That's absolutely true. But he did. I think when you're at the top of the tree, you've got a different set of issues. You're still you're still managing people kind of down the flagpole, and you've still got people trying to backstab you and undermine you. And it's the ultimate in stakeholder relations, I imagine, doing running a Roman Empire. So I think um, whilst he didn't have a boss saying, "I'm sorry, you can't leave at five o'clock," he um, no doubt had um, some very delicate relationships to manage and I think the the stoicism certainly helped him that. I mean, he seemed to be someone that he spoke a lot about being a good leader, being someone that led with humility and that was open to criticism and I think you know, they are very, very great qualities in a leader and if you want to get the best out of your staff, if you lead with those qualities, then I think um, you won't have people trying to murder you, as I'm sure Marcus Aurelius did. Well, and he was also on the murdering side at one point. Well, was he taking I mean, his own advice? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking the sort of homicidal aspects of, of um, living in Roman times um, to the modern working world. Yeah, I think that's good to know your limits, and that is also one of Marcus Aurelius's uh, points. A lot of text coming through on this, Annie Lawson. Homer Simpson said to Bart, aim low and you'll never be disappointed. And yeah, that's one approach to life. David in Melbourne says, haha, when I worked in the corporate sector, all the hoodies used to laugh about and use the silly language, all the non-suit guys. And Graham in North Sydney says, I totally agree. Marcus Aurelius's Meditations is great inspiration for a workplace book, but also remember he was a multi multiple nations killer for Rome. Sobering. Yep. Good, <laughs> good perspective. And I mean, when we look at the disconnect between the corporate world and literally everything else, but particularly yeah. ancient Rome, yeah. um, the Stoics were fans, I understand, of being your authentic self. That can get a bit complicated in corporate world, can't it? On the surface, they seem to promote that idea, but really you wouldn't want to do that. How would you balance that? Yeah, well, I will preface that saying I've worked in not-for-profit government, corporate and journalism. So I've got a quite decent perspective and I've got friends in many other sectors. And I honestly think that sentiment is actually in all sectors, not just corporate. And this notion of bringing your whole self to work is interesting. I guess what they want is for you to feel comfortable and therefore you'll be more productive. But the reality is if we all brought our whole selves to work, it would be a disaster. And I think, you know, it would be sacked probably probably within a day. So maybe if you're at the very top of the tree, you can because there's nowhere else to go. But I think I think the Stoics, if they were true Stoics, they would live a virtuous life. So bringing their whole self to work would be perfectly fine. But I feel like if I was sitting there eating, you know, wagon wheels for breakfast at my desk, you know, talking to a CEO, it might not be a good look. So I think, you know, you've got to bring the best bits of yourself to work and leave the sort of questionable bits behind. Well, if you brought your authentic self to work, you'd be bringing your kids, wouldn't you? And you'd be on the phone yeah. with your therapist. I'd bring my cats, Yoshi and Boo. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they'd like that. I'd like to work with you now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just to finally, Annie, uh, you, you write at one point that long meetings and annoying colleagues should be seen as exercises in patience and fortitude. Is that sustainable in the long term? I mean, if I've, in a best case scenario, your book is insanely popular because everyone hates their job. Does that suggest that we should be looking at larger scale change? Just, yeah, suck it up. Well, you know, it's interesting. There is this shift. There's um, a bit of commentary at the moment about this four-day week and a bit of an analysis. How do we get there? And when you do an inventory of time, because, of course, the Stoics value time more than anything. It's the most important currency beyond money. 
And if you look at your time, if you are in a meeting that has no outcomes or even worse, a meeting about meetings, you're in serious trouble of wasting precious time. So I think um, really, you know, there's always this discussion about making meetings more meaningful, but but making them not too big because I, I write in the book how, you know, anything more than five, um, any people more than five are merely all ornamental and at 21 the whole organism begins to die. So you, you want to keep them small, focused and targeted. But I'm also a fan of having a casual conversation to resolve something and moving on as well. Um, that was something that actually journalism was quite good for because of the aggressive deadlines, not so in the other sectors. So um, I, I think it's for every workplace to kind of self-reflect, you know, how do we best use our time? And, you know, we're all looking after the pandemic. We're all sort of our resilience has been tested. And I think I've noticed my friends complaining a little bit more, no offence to all my friends, but they all have, um, because that kind of ability to cope with crowded commutes and noisy colleagues and and sort of, you know, overwork, sort of high work schedules is is been tested. So I think that's that sort of inspired the book to sort of offer some practical tools, practical wisdom to manage those things and not let them derail you from the larger task. Well, and as you say, you know, just working out what you can and can't change is a really interesting perspective to, or a challenge or an exercise to put yourself through. Annie, thanks so much for coming in and chatting to us today about Stoic at Work. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Annie Lawson is the author of Stoic at Work, illustrations by Oslo Davis, ancient wisdom to make your job a bit less annoying. And I think that's a, a really useful level of claim to put on the front cover of a book. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.